chapter 7 once again. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through 25. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 through 25. We continue uh, through chapter 7 uh, dealing with, uh, in a more roundabout way, with the uh, person of Melchizedek. Let's go on here. On one hand, excuse me, verse 20. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Uh, In many ways, we really could at this point sing before the throne of God again and say amen. Uh, That song really preaches this text, Mark's all for that, (laughs) Uh, in a a great way. Uh, But as we come to this text today, um, I think it's important for us to think about who we are as people. Um, Because as individuals, uh, as we look at the world, uh, we see that people are continually looking for a solution to their problems, to the things that hurt them or ail them. Uh, In fact, there's a booming industry uh, just for this. Uh, The self-help industry is there. It, It seeks to be a solution to the things that affect us. Are you overweight? We have a book for that. Do you have anxiety? We have a book for that. Would you like to know how to look, work out and feel better? We have a book for that. Are you suffering? We have a book for that. Just go to the self-help section. I've made this comment before, but it's so true. They have a chicken soup book for everything. Chicken soup for the whatever, whatever. It's self-help. We want to live the good life. We want comfort. We want ease. Uh, We don't understand quite why our best life now has not manifested itself. So we go, what do we need? What do we need for the things that ail us? And the problem becomes this. When we look at ourselves, as we consider the things that have been done to us by others, as we consider the things that we have done to others, we would like to remove sin from the picture. Uh, If I have hurt you, if I can remove blame from myself for that hurt, I like that better. It works out better for me, right? That way I don't have to put the blame on myself. 
How do we handle the things others have done to us? How do we handle the things we've done to others? Things done in violence or anger or envy or greed. And sadly, there is this tendency in our world today to reclassify sin as dysfunction. To reclassify sin as dysfunction. Our behavior is not our fault. It's someone else's fault. Or perhaps if it's not my fault, it's some dysfunction or disorder that I have. Therefore, we, what we don't need is forgiveness and redemption. What we need is re- rehabilitation. We just simply need a changed environment. And listen to me. There are certainly things... I'm a proponent of therapy. I think therapy is a good thing. And there are certainly things that therapy can help us with. But the thing that therapy cannot do for us is remove sin. It cannot remove sin. It can change external things and maybe even for the better, but it cannot change the inward reality of sin. Our hearts, our attitudes, our affections, all those things need to change. And we lacked, we lacked the power and the resources to affect that change. And no matter where you go, if you go to the self-help section or you go to the religions of the world, none of them offer a good solution for the problem of sin. None of them. Only Jesus alone offers us a solution to the problem of sin. And the writer of Hebrews points once again to the priesthood of Jesus for the answer. So as we come to our text this morning, we're going to see three things. Jesus, the guarantor. Jesus, who is able. And Jesus, who lives. Jesus, the guarantor. Jesus, who is able. And Jesus, who lives. I want to deal with this word guarantor before we go any further. Because it's kind of an odd word, and maybe some of our kids are going, well, guarantor, what does that mean? And all a guarantor is, is one who guarantees. You've heard that for I guarantee, right? I guarantee something. I uh, am vouching for the fact that this will happen. The other way this word often is translated is uh, surety. Surety. I'm probably saying that wrong. Surety is the word. Uh, making it sure. Jesus guarantees for us our salvation. So that's the first point. Jesus, the guarantor. The writer, once again, of Hebrews is declaring the total sufficiency of the salvation that is found in Christ by pointing again to the permanency of Jesus's priestly ministry. He points to the permanence of Jesus priestly ministry because it is permanent It guarantees our relationship to God. Right? That's that's what we sung here a second ago, right? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name and love, whoever pleads, whoever lives and pleads for me. That's what we sing about. Jesus is in heaven guaranteeing by his continual priestly office 
our relationship with God. And again, it doesn't say Melchizedek here, but it points again to that verse. It says all but Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, dot, 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 after the order of Melchizedek. That's what's implied there. Again, the writer of Hebrews brings us to Melchizedek to show us the unending nature of Jesus' ministry. He began to show us this last week and talk about Aaron. Aaron and the Levitical priesthood, everything that they were was to a lesser degree from what Jesus is. Aaron was under Melchizedek. He paid the tithe through Abraham to Melchizedek. He was blessed by Melchizedek. It comes down to the fact that the earthly priest and Jesus, the heavenly priest, have a different kind of priesthood. In fact, in Jesus, we have a priesthood that it is sworn to us. God himself took an oath concerning the priesthood of Jesus that it would never end. This priesthood would never end. And it makes it the guarantee that this covenant is better. And to understand this, I think it's important for us to remember how the writer of Hebrews has already used the language of oath in Hebrews. Where did he point us to? If you remember several weeks ago, uh, he pointed us back to Abraham and the fact that God made a covenant with Abraham. And in that covenant, who did God swear by? He took an oath by himself. I swear by my own name that I will see these things done. This is very similar to what we see here. It says, uh, God, the Lord, has sworn, Yahweh has sworn, he has taken an oath that he will not change his mind, that Jesus himself will be a priest forever. Why would he do this? Why would he promise, take an oath by himself, Is it because he needed to? No. He is God. He does not lie. He is perfect in every single thing that he does. So why again does he take the oath? Well, we we saw last time he took the oath for Abraham's sake because Abraham uh, was weak in faith. To, To show him, look, I will do this. Do not doubt. It was about reassurance for Abraham. It was not God's character that was in question. It was an issue of Abraham's weakness. But interestingly, we also see that these, both of these O's are related. How are they related? How are both of these oaths related? Well, God promises to Abraham that he will bless him. That he will bless him and all who come from him. So the first is that God promised to bless Abraham. The second is the promise that the Messiah would be a priest forever. But they're related this way. It is through the Messiah that God fulfills the promise given to Abraham. That he would bless him, that there would be a people that come from him. He sent the Savior to accomplish what he promised 
The Messiah guarantees the covenant with Abraham so that Paul can say in Galatians, uh, if you are a son of God, then you're a son of Abraham. You're a fulfillment of the promise. And how are we made sons of God? Through the Messiah. God's oath that Jesus will be a priest forever is a fulfillment of the promise given to Abraham. And it is the hope of the believer that Jesus came and it is this, is this perfect priest. He is a priest forever. It will not change and so he becomes the guarantee of a better covenant and really this is here now contrasting not the covenant that God took by himself but the covenant with Moses what did the law bring the law brings the reality of sin and the law brings death because we cannot follow that law but Christ comes and he follows that law perfectly he becomes that guarantee uh, again, we see this word from the Greek word egonos. One who, it, it, translated like this, one who stands in security. You, you think about a, a security guard, security guard of a bank, right? He stands out there as a guard to keep your money, hopefully, safe. But Jesus is like this. He stands in security, making things sure. It's the same word in the Old Testament that is used of the rainbow. The rainbow, of course, we know the story of Noah, right? The floods come, destroys the earth. After the floods recide, uh, res- whatever, go away, uh, rescind, recede, thank you. Um, Jesus puts the rainbow in the sky and he says, This rainbow is a guarantee that I will never destroy the earth again in this way. I will never flood and destroy all creation in this way again. It's a guarantee. I guarantee you so that every time you look up and you see a rainbow, you see the guarantee that God will never destroy the earth in a flood again. It's a guarantee. And we look to Jesus in the same way. We look to Jesus and he's a guarantee that we will always have someone at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. It's a much greater guarantee As long as Jesus is is at the right hand of God the Father, the covenant that he has established in him will never end. Oh, that's awesome. Because when will Jesus not be at the right hand of the Father? Never. He will be there forever. He basically points us to Jesus and he says, look to Jesus for your hope. Right next to the throne of God is Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, together with the humanity he took up at the incarnation. And it is a visual reminder to God of the promise that he made. The old error was not sufficient because what was the problem with the old error priest? He was born, he lived, he served, he died. And then there was more who were born. And some were good priests, but others were not good priests. And even the good priests still had their own sins to atone for. But we have one who is secured, who now reigns forever. 
we have Jesus who is able. That's what it says in verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He is able to save to the uttermost. I love the picture of Jesus' intercession for us. The reminder that that the writer of Hebrews has been given us uh, over and over and over again. That Jesus right now is able to save. He is able to bring us before the throne of God. He's making intercession for us. We need this intercession and we only get it through Jesus. He's securing this for us. Andrew Murray says this, without ceasing, there streams forth from him, that is Jesus, to the Father, the prayer of his love for everyone and every need of those that belong to him. Okay, that's not the end of the quote. Let me stop there. Without ceasing, there streams forth from Jesus, the prayer to the Father, the prayers of his love for everyone in every need. Jesus is before the throne of God, continually interceding with all of our needs. And he does this out of his love for us. The quote goes on to say this, his very person and presence is that prayer. So closely and inseparably is he identified with those he calls his brethren. This is how close he is to us. This is how inseparable he is from us, as Paul says in Romans. Right? We are inseparable. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. But we have to be careful at this point. Because I think there's a few errors that we can fall into. As one commentator says, there are two things we can fall into. First is to think that somehow, because Christ must make intercession, that makes him insufficient. Why is Jesus continually having to make intercession? Isn't what he did enough? And this is an error of those who turn elsewhere for intercession. Philip Hughes says this, to rely upon angels or saints or any other finite being for their intercession is not only futile, it also betrays a failure of confidence in the adequacy of Christ as our intercessor. And it is to honor the creature rather than him who is our creator and redeemer. Jesus is sufficient And again, he's there not as a hope of something better for us. Uh, He's not there to say, I can secure something a little bit more. No, he's there reminding us of what he has already secured. But the other error that we can run into is misunderstanding his role before the Father. Does God have to make intercession, or does Jesus have to make intercession for us because God is in some way hostile towards us now? No. 
We can wrongly assume that, we, that God is kind of there begrudgingly listening to his son. We have to be reminded that Jesus fulfills the office to which the father appointed him to fulfill. Who is it that's saying here? The Lord, that is Yahweh, has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. It is God, the father, who appoints Jesus as this priest. And so we can't fall into this wrong thinking that Jesus has to make intercession because God the Father is somehow hostile or disinterested in us. It's a picture to us of what God has done and has worked through Jesus and what Jesus continues to do. It helps us to understand our need. Because here's the thing. Many bad things may have happened to you in your life. And you may have done many bad things to others. It's true. But Jesus, Jesus is enough. You can't make yourselves better. He can. You look at the world and I remember many, many years ago when Tiger Woods kind of had his fall from grace. And you look at the sinfulness and I have, oh, I just, I have a disorder. I need to go to rehab for my disorder. And you go, really? No, you've been indulging in your sinfulness and you need to turn to Jesus for forgiveness. You can't continue to call sin disorder. Because we can't make ourselves better and no self-help book can make us better. Only Jesus, Jesus who is able, Jesus who has secured it for us on the cross, who continues right now to testify before the throne of God. Jesus whose priesthood has no end. And we are to rejoice in this. We are to rejoice in what he has done for us because we have a savior who lives, Jesus who lives. This is our third and final point. This is the last part of verse 25. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, who is eternal. When we consider our sins, that they have offended the unchanging and perfect justice of heaven, things can become potentially overwhelming. We can't make things right. We can't do enough things right, and nobody else can. And we, we come and we're like, we understand we're full of guilt. We're full of weakness. And even though this is true, the writer of Hebrews points us against to Jesus and say, Jesus lives. He lives and is able to make intercession for you. Because he lives. 1 John 2.1 My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. This word, we have an advocate. We have an intercessor. 
Jesus lives and makes intercession for us. And if this is true, if Jesus is now making intercession, if he is before the throne of God making intercession for us, who can condemn us? No one. Absolutely right. Certainly not yourselves. Stop condemning yourselves. Stop saying I'm not good enough. I haven't done enough good things. How could Jesus love me? Stop condemning yourselves and certainly stop allowing the world to condemn you. Paul in Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So who can condemn you? The answer is no one. Jesus comes to us in our filthiness, and our ugliness, in our wickedness. And he identifies us as our own, his own. Isn't that wonderful? That no matter what you've done, that no matter what you may do, and listen to me. Children even, listen to me. I know at times children drift and wander. Children of the church, listen to me. Take this moment and take a few minutes and listen to me. And adults too, listen to me. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what sins you have committed or will commit. It doesn't matter what sins I've done. And my sins and your sins are ugly and they're gross and they're heinous. But Jesus is sufficient for you. He's enough. So you don't have to go to the world and play the world's games. You don't have to continue to doubt and to worry. He comes to us in our filthiness. And he brings to us life. He says, you are my own child. You are my daughter. You are my son. It doesn't matter how old we are. You can be as old as Mr. Dave. Or as young as Nate Cato. And Jesus comes to us in our sin. And says, you are mine. I have died for you. I am making intercession for you. We are in relationship with him. And he wants us to come before him with our sins, hating and mourning them. This is something I I, I think it's hard. Kids, I know it's hard to understand what it looks like to hate and mourn your sins. It's something that I, I still struggle with. What does it actually look to hate my sinfulness? But we have to do this. It's something we have to be learning all our lives. We have to hate and mourn our sins, knowing that Christ has removed them from us on the cross. And he is interceding right now for our sins, day and night without end, so we can come to Jesus whenever. Whenever we sin, we can come before him and say, Heavenly Heavenly Father, I ask for forgiveness because of Jesus who has cleansed me from this sin. And guess what? You don't have to wonder or hope. Will he forgive me? 
I remember as a child, if I had to go admit something, it was always hard to go admit something. It's, it's not less true as an adult. I hate being wrong. You can ask my wife. She can testify. She can daily testify without ceasing <laughs> to my hating of being wrong. So much so that I remember it would, if I had to admit I, I was wrong, it just broke me. I remember one time I was, was we were doing, I think it was a um, VBS. We'd been going through the week and I, I can be loud and boisterous and distracting and and at the end of the week, the teacher, the teacher sat me down. It was actually the pastor's wife. Probably didn't make it any better. My now brother's mother-in-law. Uh, my brother's mother-in-law now. And said, you know, Daniel, this whole week you've just been a distraction. And you've kept people from hearing about Jesus because you've just been a distraction. She wasn't mean. She wasn't mad. And I just hated it. I broke down weeping. I felt bad. But even today, when I come weeping before Jesus, I don't have to wonder how Jesus will answer me. As I come and I break down with my sin, I can have confidence despite my weakness. And there's no other place that this can be found. World religions, philosophies, they all have one thing in common. They demand that you do better. Do better. Be better. And Jesus comes and says this. I have been the best for you. Don't rely on your own performance. Don't rely on your own work. Rely on me who has removed your sin as far as the east is from the west. Come and rest and trust in me and bear fruit in my kingdom. Because that's the wondrous thing of the gospel, right? The gospel doesn't say you don't do anything. Ever. It says, you don't do anything to earn your salvation. Now go and be obedient. Because of what I have done for you. Come and bear fruit in my kingdom. Because I have made you guiltless. We have a peace that comes from laying our burdens on him. Trusting in him to bring to us newness of life. We have a tendency, I think, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be masters at self-condemnation. What do I mean by that? We can be masters at coming and saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not worthy This is not the way it should be. We should not look to ourselves or look to someone else to blame. We don't have to bear this guilt any longer because Jesus lives. 
And because he lives, we live. Jesus is righteous. And because he's righteous, you're righteous. And because he's God's son, you are God's son. And you are God's daughter. Because of who he is, he has changed who you are. Jesus is better. Better than what? Everything. All your concerns, all your doubts, all your worries. He has done what no one and nothing else could do. He's freed us. And it's a wonderful, restrictive freedom. What? Restrictive freedom. Yes, that's what it is. Because Jesus doesn't come to us and say, I've made you new, now go do what you want. He says, no, I've made you new. Now come faithfully follow me. Because I have guaranteed your salvation. I am the perfect priest that has done what no other priesthood could do. I I have sworn by myself that I will not end. He is able Not like those who have come before. He is perfectly sufficient and he lives. So we now live. We have assurance that it will not fail and will not end. If you ever wonder why we do this regularly, monthly, this communion table here. This communion is a reminder of not that Jesus is continually crucified. But it's a reminder of what he has done and that he is continually making intercession. This is what we're about to do here in mere moments. It's a reminder, Jesus has bought you. He has freed you and you are his. Stop acting otherwise. Stop acting and living as if the world has control over you. Stop acting and living as if you're not sons and gods, sons and daughters of God. It says to those who would hear the words of the writer of Hebrews, or maybe the old hymn, or not hymn, but song, stop looking for love in all the wrong places. We look for love and satisfaction in all the wrong places. Come and see the love of your Savior on display. This is Jesus and his love on display for you. Let us know that he's better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Jesus and his intercession that even now as I pray before you, he is there making intercession. Lord, would the, this wonderful reality this truth be made manifest in us lord let us no longer be lazy and slothful going from this way to that let us rest firm in who jesus is we ask and pray in his holy name amen